Welcome to the Gathering at Adel's Sermon of the Week. This message is by Pastor Jeff Hopkins. As you listen, we pray that you will be encouraged, empowered, and enriched. Thank you. God bless. We're going to be in Psalm 118 today, right before the old 119. Don't worry, we're not going to, we're not going to try to tackle that one today. But we're going to be in Psalm 118, but first... Uh, we're going to be over in Matthew chapter 26. It ties in together, I promise. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to read verses 26 through 30. Should be up on the screen if I did that correctly. This is the, the Lord's Supper that Jesus was having with his disciples. And it says, as they were eating... Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went up to the Mount of Olives. There's significance in that because it was Passover. And the Jews, they would go through these psalms as it was Passover. And Psalm 118 would have been that last psalm that they would have had after they broke bread together. And so when we read today of Psalm 118... We cannot neglect that this was sung in view of Jesus. But then we can also not neglect, and you get the picture of Jesus is leading his disciples in this song as they go up to the Mount of Olives. On the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, on the night that he was betrayed, he led them in this psalm. And so when you begin to read that through the through the lens of that, like we're going to read Psalm 118. I know it's 29 verses. That's a lot. So we'll determine how we're going to do that. Maybe we'll break it down for you. And, but when you read through that, imagine Jesus saying this, singing this with his disciples. There are shouts of joy and victory in the tents of the righteous. He's about to be handed over to suffering and death. And he's singing, there are shouts of joy and victory in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. The Lord's right hand is raised. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. This is verse 17. I will not die, but I will live and proclaim what the Lord has done. Can you? Jesus is walking to his death. And he's saying, I will not. I will live and I will not die. I will proclaim what the Lord has done. Open the gates of righteousness for me and I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. <laughs> Jesus is singing, this is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter. He's saying, and he already said it before, I am the gate. And now he's leading them in there and going, I am the gate and the right of the righteous and they will enter through me. And then look at this in verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
This came from the Lord. It is wondrous in our sight. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. On the way to be beating, mocked, stripped naked, made fun of and hung on the cross. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. What a lesson there is to be learned right there in that one verse. We think that when somebody cuts us off or someone doesn't acknowledge our Facebook post or leaves us unread, it's like, man, Jesus is on the way to be handed over. Handed over. And he says, this is the day the Lord has made. He said, the, the cornerstone that's been rejected, here it is. And so... When we read this, let's read it through that. This would also be a psalm that they sang as a celebration of Passover where the angel of death passed over the Israelites' houses that had the blood on the doorpost. It's a song of deliverance. And so why don't we start and we'll do verses 1 through 4. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let Israel say his faithful love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his faithful love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his faithful love endures forever. I try to make it simple for you guys because I'm a simple guy. And so here, let me just summarize this. And we're going to say this a couple of times throughout the message. But this is the, the main idea today. It says that the goodness of God, and I tried to shorten it last week, so it was ridiculously long. But the goodness of God is most clearly seen through his faithful love. The goodness of God is most clearly seen through his faithful love. This psalm is about when it seems that our enemies have surrounded us, when it seems that defeat is very likely to happen. What do we do? How, how, do, how do we go through these troubled times? How do we go through times of distress? How do we go where, where it seems like our enemies are surrounding us or, or where it says right here, uh, where was it? Oh, okay. In the, in, it says, they surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished like a fire among thorns. They pushed me hard to make me fall, but the Lord helped me. Right. So in those times where we feel surrounded, where we feel like defeat is imminent, what can we pull out of this? Where, where Jesus led them into this, like where can we pull out of it? And so uh, all, all I can do is walk you through what, I, what I've felt. There, there's nothing flashy, probably nothing social media worthy out of today's message. There, there's not lights and smokes and fire and all that happening today. Man, we're just, we're just normal people. I mean, I think that you, what you get from Jacob is it's like just like an invitation into his personal time of worship. And, and what we try to do here is just, I'm just inviting you to, to gather around and let's read through the word together. Let's break it down and go, huh, maybe this is what he means. Let's hope this is what it, let's, let's gather together. Let, let us reason together, as the word says. So that's all I can do is just give you what I feel like the Lord is saying. And so we start off right here. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful and love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. I think when I, when I very first started, when I read that, give thanks to the Lord, 
that, that verse, Psalm 104, 100, verse 4, just came to my head. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to the Lord that as we come into his presence, or as we feel surrounded, as we feel like, like, man, defeat is imminent, right? Like Jesus is marching to his death. He's going to be handed over. The word says that his life was not taken from him. He handed it over to them. It was not taken from him. Give thanks to the Lord. I just felt like if, if we're going to come to this place of victory where we feel surrounded, where we feel like we're about to be defeated, where we feel everyone is against us, our first step has to be give thanks to the Lord. And I think it's easy to do when things are going well, right? When, when, when you got the raise that you've been wanting, great. When he, when he healed you, a, a sickness, an injury, a disease, he healed you, and it's like, man, that's good. Everything's going great. Our kids are starting in sports, right? And, and they're the starter, and they're the star. Like, everything's happening. Or, hey, they're just in school, and we're thanking the Lord for that. You know, like, whatever it is. But when it becomes tough times, are we going to be thankful in those moments? And I think we tend to think of these big things and the good things, but, but honestly, the key to giving thanks is to, to start small. I, for, for me, like when, when it says give thanks to the Lord, and whenever, whenever I come into a time, I just begin, and I don't begin with anything that he has done, has given to me. I start with what he did for me, and I just say, Father, Thank you that you sent your one and only son. That, that because of him, that if I believe in him, then, then I will not perish, but I'll have everlasting life. I say, Jesus, thank you that you came and you died the most horrible death. Th thank you for salvation, to be made pure, to be declared the righteous of God. So as we come into these seasons where, where finances are tight, where, where we're fighting with, with spouse, where we're fighting in relationships, where bosses and coworkers aren't working out, where, where you, you have your own struggles with fear and worry and doubt and unbelief, you have your own struggles of addiction, right? And, and you come to those times, you have to begin by giving thanks, but it has to start with, Thank you that no matter what happens in this, it doesn't change who I am. That, that I am saved from, from eternity of separation from him. I, I start small, and I know that's, that seems small. That's the biggest thing, but it seems so small sometimes where we're just so thankful for that salvation. So thankful that he heals us, that he forgives us of our sins, that he has never forgotten us, that, yeah, we were saved, and, man, we said, man, I'm going to love you for the rest of my life. I'm going to do everything he says, and then we don't, and, but yet he doesn't turn his back on us. Where, where we can be thankful that he still loves us. When anyone, where everyone else has turned their back, when anyone else in their right mind would say, I'm, I'm done with you, the Lord says, Man, come on. Come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I begin to just thank him for those things. Thank him that he has good for me. 
I move on, on to my family. I think for my wife. I think for my kids. And so, so this is just like, I'm literally just trying to go. When I read this verse, give thanks to the Lord. This is what the Lord was saying to me. This is just something that I found that works for me. It might not work for you. You can tweak it if you want. But I just begin, I thank him for him. And then I thank him for my family. And I just begin, is everything perfect in my family? No. No, they're not. And, and no, we're not. <laughs> but I just begin to thank him for all the things. Is everything perfect with my kids? No. But we give thanks for all things. In all circumstances, we give thanks. I begin to thank him for my family, for my wife, and all the things that, that he's done for us, the way where he's brought us, and, and the way that he provides for us. Then I go into praying for my church. I pray for my community. Pray for the people. And so this is what, this is what it takes because what happens is that when we come into those times where we feel surrounded, we begin to look inward and not outward. We begin to question things instead of being thankful for him. We, we begin to go, why is this not happening to them? Why only me? Why do I have to go through this? Why am I dealing with this? And we begin to question him. And we, we begin to question, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. We begin to go, man, is he really good? So we have to give thanks because that puts the focus back on him and not on us. Psalm 69.3, it says, I will magnify him with thanksgiving. I was like, I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And, and I was thinking, uh, uh, Noah is our oldest kiddo. He's a science teacher there in Strawn. And, and, you know, you really magnify. You start thinking like a, a microscope or a telescope. I will magnify the boat. They both magnify things, but but a micro microscope takes what it is small. I mean, most of the time unseen to the human eye, and it makes it to where we can see it. But a telescope takes what what is massive, but seems small, and it magnifies it to us. You know, you, you can look, get a telescope, look at the planets, at the stars, and you see that, and they look so small and so tiny. But you take a telescope that magnifies it. But do you understand that, that a microscope, a, a, a telescope, they don't actually change the size of the object. They just alter our perception to it. So what happens is that when, when I feel like I'm surrounded, when I feel like the enemy is around me, when I feel like everybody is against me, when I feel like I should just give in to temptation because what's it going to matter anyways because I've already messed up? You know, so when I feel that, I need a telescope to go, no, no, look at the massiveness of his goodness, of his love, his grace, and his mercy. Where The enemy has made it seem small. I just... I just need my perception to be altered to where I see it for what it really is. When you see that and you go, oh man, there it is. It's that much. His love for me is that great. You begin to recall the history of your, of your walk with the Lord. And you're like, oh my goodness, look at that. And it just magnifies it with thanksgiving. When we give thanksgiving to him, it magnifies his goodness. Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. Times of trouble can cause us to forget it or to minimize his goodness. Giving thanks is like using a telescope. I said that. Whatever. I told you. There's nothing social media worthy today, man. It's just a dude with a Bible trying to be real with you guys. 
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. I think, I think the biggest struggle that we have as Christ followers is that we're not sure if those three words are true. He is good. We think that our biggest struggles are our sin, addiction, fear, doubt, worry. We, we think that our biggest struggles are, are the things that are going on around us that, that are visible and present, but it's really not the truth. Those are minor. Our biggest struggle is do we actually believe those three words? Do I truly believe that he is good? And we could say, yeah, no, Pastor Jeff, you've, you've said that a lot. But, but yet, when it gets into times of trouble, when we feel like we're surrounded, then we go back to that default. We, we go back to when something bad happens to us, we say, oh, I deserved that. Why? Because we don't think that he is actually good. That he is for us and not against us. That he has plans for us. And I know that's a Jeremiah to prosper us and not to harm us. I know that's a prophecy of Jeremiah. I've spoken to Jeremiah, but if it's, it's, all his promises are yes and amen according to the word. And so we got to be careful on taking scripture out of context, but it does say that. So we have to begin to go, is he really good? Do I truly believe that at the base, at the core of who I am, that he is good and he is for me? Because if I do believe that, then that changes everything. Because Satan is not our biggest enemy. He's not our biggest foe. It's, it's right here. Do I truly believe it in my heart that he is good? Because if I do, then it will reflect in my attitude and my choices and my actions. If I really believe that he is good then it will overflow into my attitudes and my choices and my actions. There is so much struggle and strife because our hearts aren't settled on the truth that God is good. The word says that the wrath of God was satisfied on Jesus Christ. Because of him, we no longer have to experience the wrath of God. But yet when, when we sin and we mess up and then we, we do something bad and then something bad happens to us, then we go, I had that coming. Or I knew it couldn't be this good. I knew it couldn't last that long. I knew I couldn't be that free from things. I, I knew it couldn't always go my way. Because in the back of our mind, we go back and we question, is God really good? And I think what's happened is that word good we have taken that word good to mean that I get everything that I want and everything goes my way. That word good means that he is right, he is just, he is pleasurable, he is enjoyable. It doesn't mean that you're never going to be sick. Like, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord for I will never be sick again. Nothing bad will ever happen to me or my kids. Give thanks to him. No, because he is good. I mean, you'll, you'll remember in Acts, right? Uh, 
Acts, maybe it's chapter 7, they, the, they start with deacons is what it really is. And they have Stephen. And Stephen is this deacon and it said that he was righteous. He, he was fit to serve. But yet, he was stoned to death. So is God not good? Is God not right? Is he not just? Is he not enjoyable? Is he not pleasurable? No, because he is good, he allows us to see things from his perspective. We we struggle with, with addiction, and it's like, man, if I just knew that he was good, then I would not struggle with addiction. Because addiction means that this is good and he is not. Addiction says that drugs and alcohol, that food is good and that he is not. If I knew in my heart that he was good, then doubt and worry would not creep in. If I knew that God was good, then why would I worry? Why would I doubt? If I knew that God was good, then why would I suffer with greed, strife, and envy, jealousy? If if I really thought that God was good, then then why? Because all greed is, greed is a belief that there's not enough. Greed is a belief that there's enough for everybody else but me. You've been at the Thanksgiving dinner, right? And you get towards the end of, you're at, at the end of the line and you're just sitting there watching it all get scooped onto other people's plate. And you're like, man. This is good. Y'all come to my house. Y'all eat all my food, and I get stuck with pea casserole. Awesome. No more, t- you know, and it's like, but, but greed works that way. Greed is a belief that there's enough for everybody but me, and so I'll go get my own because I don't really think that God is good and that he's going to take care of me. We could go through the entire list, but it would be the same we question whether he is good. We pray, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. It, it doesn't say give thanks to the Lord for he does good things. We don't praise him because he has done good. We praise him because he is good. And that's ultimately where the, the struggle lies is because we think that when he doesn't do something good for us, then he is no longer good. We, we think that if we pray for healing for somebody and they don't get healed, that God is not good. Maybe in that moment what he's trying to do is trying to teach us how frail this earthly body is and how every day that we have should be lived for him. Have you ever thought about it in light of that? Or... Or God is good, we're praying for healing for, for cancer, and he doesn't heal. Oh, man. Question God's goodness, and you go, no, no, wait a minute. God is so good that he removed all suffering and all hurt and all pain from that person's life. And now they stand before him in a new glorious body, made whole, new, and complete. What he has to do is he has to change my thinking on what is actually good. That's why Paul said 
in, in Philippians that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. What Paul is saying, to live is not good. To live is for God. To die is actually good. To be with him is actually what's good. We have to allow him to change our minds and the way that we think about things because that affects whether or not we believe he is good. When we, when we always view things through a, a, an earthly perspective, we will always question whether God is good. Hey, I didn't get that new job that I wanted. I didn't get that new truck that I wanted. I didn't get this that I wanted. My kids, this, because all we can think about is me and how that is going to satisfy my earthly desire. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't pray for new jobs, but it doesn't mean that we don't pray for new trucks. It, it doesn't mean that we don't, but that we go, and you can't manipulate God. Have you tried to do that? Lord, if you just give me this truck, I'll drive all over the place and share your gospel. And he's going, you're full of junk. Don't even tell me that, right? We've all said that. Come on. Or at least I have several times enough for all of us to say it, you know? But it's like, you can't trick him. You can't manipulate him. But if you say, Father, man, you don't have to list out the reasons why a new truck would be good for you. Because God is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. That, that word, faithful love, it, it's translated a lot of different things. Or, or I mean... The actual Hebrew word is translated into lots of different meanings. One, one time it's mercy. But what it's really talking about is, is his covenant love. Like when it feels like we're surrounded, when it feels like defeat is imminent, like we have to give thanks to him. We have to remember that he is good. And then we have to remember the covenant that we made. And the covenant that he gave to us. Right? The new covenant that through Jesus we have forgiveness of sins. That we've been, we have access to the Father, that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. This new covenant is good. So when we're going through tough times, when we're struggling, it's going out here. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. What you're doing is you're reminding him of that covenant that you made with him. Where you're going, hey, remember that faithful love that you have? It endures through all of this. In Hebrews, it's chapter 7 and chapter 8. They talk about it, that we have a, a better covenant with better promises. We're reminding him of those promises. And, and, and we're, we're not like holding it against him, but, but we are. We're saying, hey, Father, remember... Remember this contract, this covenant that we went through. Somebody liked that one. That was a good one. We'll, t we'll preach on Hebrews next week then, man. There's, there's more to it. <laughs> what we're doing is we're going through that and we're saying, hey, Father, remember right here, remember that covenant that we made, that I can have access to you, that I can have forgiveness of sins. I can be washed, made new, declared the righteousness of God, that there's nothing that separates me from you. You're reminding him of his faithful love. And I have to remind him of it, but I have to remind myself of it. And I go, it's a better covenant. That word faithful love, it's unmerited favor and devotion to us. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. 
He has unmerited favor and devotion to us. He keeps his covenant when we fell. He is faithful. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Can I tell you, when you feel surrounded, when you feel like your enemies are around you and defeat is imminent, give praise and thanksgiving. Remember that he is good and that he is faithful. The goodness of God is most clearly seen through his faithful love. I love right here, verse, we're going to go down to verse 5, but it's in verses 2, 3, and 4, you know, it says, let Israel say, let the house of Aaron say, and let those who fear the Lord say. What it was doing, let, let Israel, let the whole nation say this. Let the house of Aaron, let, let all the, the priests say this. And, and those who fear the Lord, it, it, those, those are the people that, that are not naturally Jews, but they've been brought, whether they were captured and they came over, and now they're serving the Lord. So essentially what David is saying right here, as he wrote Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Everybody that's hearing this, let the whole nation, let the, the priesthood know, those who have converted, let them say his faithful love endures forever. Verse 5 right here, it says, I called to the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and put me in a spacious place. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humanity. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in the nobles. I think for me that one thing that he was just teaching me out of this, I called to the Lord in distress and he answered me. Learning to actually cry out to him. I think so many times that we cry out to others or we, we think about it, but have we actually vocalized it? I think so many times we, we hold it in and we think we've actually talked about it when we really haven't. So for me, it, it, it's this, I called to the Lord in distress and he answered me. One thing that, I, that I'm learning is that I can't do it all. And that's tough to hear, coming even from myself. That's tough to hear. I can't do it all. I called to the Lord in distress and he answered me. We have to begin to learn what that looks like. Can I tell you, he's not offended when you say something. He doesn't go, oh man, really Adam, again? He longs to hear our voices. Here's the promise. I called to the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and put me in a spacious place. That, that picture in verse 5 is, I called him in distress. I called him, I was bound up in a tight place. He set me free and put me in a spacious place. Have you ever felt bound up, the pressures of the world just closing in on you? You call to him and he answers you. He's removed the chains. The ropes that have bound you, 
He has set you free and he's put you into a spacious place. That where we were tied up, that, that our souls were held captive, now we have a fullness of joy. I think what's hard in this is sometimes you read this and, and we're, we're looking at circumstances, right? I called to the Lord in distress and the Lord answered me and he put me in a spacious place. I think for me, sometimes that can mean that the Lord is always going to deliver me from my circumstance. And he doesn't. Sometimes it happens still. Because what, what happens is that that circumstance is more important for your growth than avoiding it. It's not enjoyable, as enjoyable sometimes as being able to get around it skirt, not have to deal with it. But that the very thing that we're asking for can only be accomplished through the thing that we're asking to be removed. You know, that the thing that we desire the most out of our lives can only be accomplished through what we have to go through. For me, so don't be offended, for me, I felt like the Lord was saying that it's really immature of me to ask for that to be removed. Because he's not as concerned about that circumstance as he is my heart. And if he, can, if he removes that circumstance, then that same circumstance will show up later down the road because I haven't had to deal with it. He's allowed me to, to get away with it. And that's not a good father. Sometimes you just want your dad to make a phone call and get you out of trouble, right? And sometimes he can't. Sometimes it's like, no, this is going to be good for you. It's not about what he does for us, but what he does in us. Repentance is about changing your thinking. Sometimes he sets us free by not changing the circumstance, but by changing the condition of our heart. Where we want him to set us free from the desires that we have, whether it's with food, drinks, or drugs. We want him to set us free from that in an instant. When really what he's wanting us to do is to change the way that we view those things. So that it's a one-time thing and not a lifetime of addiction and hurt and pain. He sets us free by changing the way that we view it, not by removing it. I like this, verses 6 and 7. The Lord is for me, I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? The Lord is my helper, therefore I will look and triumph on those who hate me. I think what comforts me out of this is, the Lord is my helper. I, I, I think we have, the word says that Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I were tempted. Yet he was without sin. And so after that, after he was dead, buried, raised from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and now it says that he intercedes 
on our behalf. I think it's uh, first, first John 2 where it says that he is our advocate before the Father. Can, can I say that he is with you and he is for you? Whatever you're going through, it's not that you're going through it alone. The enemy will lie to you and tell you that you're all by yourself, that no one else is having to do this. You're all on your own. You're the only one that's struggling with this. Everybody else has already been through this. Why are you still messing around with this? The enemy will tell you that thing over and over and over, but can I tell you that he is with you and he is for you. He is our advocate before the Father. He intercedes day and night. He hasn't given up on you. And so my encouragement, what I got from this, is he is our helper. If he hasn't given up on me, then I'm not going to give up on him. Sometimes that's all you need to do in the fight, you know. Sports, it's you're a team and you look around and if you see everybody else is defeated, then you give up. But sometimes you just got to look around and see one more person that's just as nuts as you are and go, all right, you ready? We're going to do this. And you're like, all right, let's go. And then everybody rallies around you. Sometimes when, when, when I look at that word, that helper, that's, that, that's the picture that came to me. The Lord's like, you ready? We're going to do this. And everyone's looking at you like you're nuts. And you're like, What? You're surrounded. You're defeated. What are you talking about? He alone is trustworthy. Look at this. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humanity. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in nobles. My main thing right there that I got out of that is he is trustworthy. Good advice will only go so far. People will let you down. Good people will let you down. Because they're just mere mortals. He alone is trustworthy. Adam, I was praying for you this week, and I just felt like the Lord was, was giving you that word right there that he's trustworthy. Been through a lot, man. It, may, it, it can put a, a guard in your heart towards him towards letting go of like, okay, I can trust you again. And can I just say it to you right now, man? He's trustworthy. He knows everything that you've been through. He even knows things that that you don't even know yet. And he's still trustworthy. Don't hold back from him for fear of something's going to happen again. You know? It's okay. He's trustworthy. Verse 14, we're skipping down. It talks at 10 through 13. It's he's surrounded. He's surrounded by, by all the things. In the verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is your deliverer. He, he is your song and your salvation. He is able to deliver you from anything that you're in. There, there, there's nothing that he cannot do. He is willing, he is able, he is for you, he is with you, and he is able. There, 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 there's nothing that he can't do. 
But when we cry out to him, we also have to let go of it. Because we don't get to say, Lord, I need your help. All right, you've got 24 hours and then I'll take over from here. (laughs) Right? Hey, I'll give you up to this point. But after that, I'm in control. We cry out to him and then we have to let go of it. Because he is our deliverer. We put a lot of trust in ourselves. We we put a lot of hope in our own abilities. And we're just mere mortals. I mean, there's a couple of scriptures that I feel that just get butchered because they don't get finished. Romans 8.37 says what? We are more than conquerors. And we stop. But the word says that we are more than conquerors through him who saved us. Through him. We want to say we are conquerors. No, you are not. He is the conqueror that he works in us and through us. What's the other one? Philippians, right? Man, I can do all things. And we stop right there. And we say it in our head. We're going to take a test and it's like, I can do all things. I can do all things, right? We come up against a a struggle. I mean, I can do all things. I can do all things. And we declare it and we decree it. But yet we are declaring and decreeing something that's not even in the word. I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ who strengthens me. It's not even my strength. I can't even say I can do all things in my own strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We put a lot of trust in our own ability. We say, oh, I don't need accountability. I I can handle this. I don't need to let someone know about this because I can take care of it. I've got it under control. You ain't got nothing under control. It's got control of you, man. As soon as you say, I've got it under control, you're controlled. You're ready to believe that lie. And so my, what, what, what I get out of this is that I have to begin to cry out to him and then let go. I, I put pressure on myself to do all the things and to be responsible for all the things. And, and that's just not the truth. I think that I, and we have this mentality of just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you can do it, just grit and bear it, just get it. You can do it and you can't. We we put so much in our own abilities, but to where we put so much pressure on ourselves, that was always meant for him. Just through, uh, through this week, I'm telling, all I can do is open up the word, read it, and then share it. I, I'm not this polished pastor that has three points, and here we go, and you go on your way, best hour of your week. All I can do is open it up and say, hey, man, this is what the Lord is teaching me. This is what the Lord is showing me. And, and one of the, the areas where, where it was revealed, me, me and Lauren, uh, our marriage counselor, he revealed this to us, was, revealed it to me, was you put so much pressure on yourself to control other people's emotions. You do so many things so that 
they won't feel hurt. When no one's put that pressure on you but you. And, and, and I see it so many times. Like I put the pressure on me so that no one else has to feel that. But it's not mine. I'm not my deliverer. He is my deliverer. Many people never accomplish what the Lord has for them because they don't persevere in the difficult times. We give up when, when the enemy, it feels like the enemy has surrounded us. When it feels like defeat is imminent, we just give up. And many people will never accomplish what the Lord has set out for them because they don't persevere in those difficult times. Jesus has the Last Supper, sings this psalm, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to be handed over to suffering and death. And he was so burdened by what was about to happen to not give in that he sweated drops of blood to resist the temptation, that he had the ability to just call forth down angels and deliver him. You take that and you say, if he had done that, then he would not have accomplished what the Lord had set out for him. We do not accomplish what the Lord has set out for us if we do not persevere in those difficult times. We have to be willing to say, I will not give in. I will persevere. We must realize that he alone is the one that we can run to. This verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. It occurs in Exodus chapter 15. After they're delivered out of slavery, out of Egypt. This is Moses' song that he sings. In one of those lines, it says that the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Isaiah is prophesying about this. In Isaiah chapter 12, he's prophesying about the new covenant, the, the coming of the Christ, and what it's going to look like. And he says, hey, the Lord will be, and he's talking about us, and he says the Lord will be their strength and their song. He has become their salvation. He is our deliverer. Difficult times does not mean that the Lord is not able that he is far off, that he is against you. But God proves his faithfulness in those moments. The goodness of God is most clearly seen through his faithful love. Can we end with this? After, after we give thanks, after we get the right, the truth in our our, not just our head, but in our heart, that he is good. And, and we remember the covenant that we made with him. We cry out to him. The next steps are just as crucial, but that we must rejoice over the victory. We, we, we so often forget the victories. But, but when you look through here, it says, there are shouts of joy and victory in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. I will not die, but I will live. 
I will proclaim what the Lord has done. We have to begin to rejoice over those things and give thanks back to him. It's easy to forget God once we're on the other side. You come up to the Red Sea and it's like, Lord, here we are, we need you. And then we get to the other side and it's like, I thought it was flowing with milk and honey. Looks like a desert to me. They get and they're like, where's our water? We would have rather just been slaves there. At least we had water. Where's our food? We, we could have been slaves there. At least we could have died there and not out in the desert. It's so easy for us to forget him once we're on the other side. Every victory in our lives over sin, over circumstances, or an enemy is the result of God's faithfulness working on our behalf. We give thanks, we cry out, we rejoice in the victory. Those songs that we sing today, you're worthy of it all, right? That's the song that begins to rise up in us. And then, then the last section right there, verses 25, or 24 through 29. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God and has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God, I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. The way that it ended is the way that it started. We give thanks, we cry out, we rejoice in the victory, but then we have to pray right there at the end, Lord, save us, please grant us success. And now that we're on the right path, as it says that you come through the gate, right? We didn't go through all this 19 through 24, right? To enter the gates of righteousness for me, I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. What you're saying is, hey, I cried out, you gave me victory. Now I need to be I need strength to be able to sustain where he's placed me. He opened the gates for me. He's placed us on a path. And so now once we come through that, once you get delivered of it, then you go, Father, thank you that you heard my cry. Thank you for my victory. Now can I have the strength to never turn back to that thing that you set me free from? May I never think about whatever, food or money or finances, What? May I never think about those the way that I used to think about them. Will you, I mean, that's where we get that, that word sanctify, right? That, that process of walking down that path as we get more and more like him. Well, then we pray, Father, I, I never want to depart from here again. Now that I'm here, let me walk here. So that's, that's the process. That's, that's, where, that's where Jeff Hopkins was this week, looking through these things and going, okay, this is, for me, this is what I see. And so I just want to remind you of this, that God is faithful. He is good. He is for you. He is with you. He is not against you. You are his beloved. You are Chosen by him. He is able. I'm going to pray and then I'll dismiss us. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for 
Psalm 118, thank you for your son walking this out, laying, laying out what this looks like in real life. Father, may, may anything that was said today, may it just be empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring forth truth, to bring forth correction, to bring forth life and joy. Father, we give you our lives today in your name. Amen. Amen. I think there's four announcements that I'm supposed to give. First one is family nights coming up. So start, starting September the 6th, that's in a couple of Wednesdays. We will have Wednesday night services up here. We will come together just so that you guys can know, and we'll try to lay this out. I will have my wife try to write this out, but I'll have to like tell her all the things. Right? She will write it out clearly for us, but essentially we're going to come up here on Wednesday nights. There will be things for adults to attend, but then we will have youth. And we will have kids and we'll have all of that. We'll have child care for the, for the littles. The goal is for us to come together, be encouraged in the word, and for our kids and our youth to be able to, to come and have something for them. So Wednesday night, starting September the 6th, we will start at 6 o'clock. One addition that, that, uh, that, that we made is 6 o'clock will be, we're going to be, because I know you're rushing around coming from places, so we'll have food and stuff for the kids and the youth will have pizzas or whatever over there and the adults will probably have something uh, less uh, intriguing, probably like crackers and cheese and stuff, whatever. Maybe not as full. That is probably intriguing to a lot of people, but not to me. I'll have pizza with the kids. Uh, so we have that. I saw the way my wife looked at me like, what are you talking about? All right, next one is volleyball night in the afternoon, September 16th. I've said that a lot. Keep going. Come on, don't hold them hostage. All right, the camp out. We talked about the camp out last week. We partner with our other campus, Brock, a couple of things each year. One, we do the spring picnic here where we stomped them in volleyball. And then we do the camp out where uh, he laughed, but it's true. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we have a camp out where the goal is to just slow down gather together. And so there are, uh, I don't know, like you can text that number to our, so what you have to do, sorry, text camp out, and I'll send out a text for this to that number and you RSVP and then they'll send you out. Like you'll be on the texting service that, that the Brock campus is putting out and it'll have all the details. They'll release it like every couple of weeks as we get closer, it'll have directions. It's down by Stephenville if you need that info right now. And so it's Friday night, all day Saturday and on Sunday. And so we'll kind of talk about what that looks like. You do not have to spend the night. You can drive down, drive back, do all of that. We will have service here uh, that Sunday morning. Brock will have service out at the camp out. You're free to join them, but if not, you can come here. And then the last one, there is no slide. Ha ha. Serve. Like, uh, man, we're a family. If you feel a part of the family and you feel like, uh, man, I'm not really serving in an area and I would love to do that, we would love to have you serve. We do not view this as obligations and we're going to hound you over this, but what it is is like, hey, there's a, we're a family. And every member of the family has things they have to do, right? And, and in order for all of this to happen, it takes a lot of people to, to put forth that. So if you're interested in serving, please see one of the staff members, and we will plug you in. That's it. <laughs> I don't know how to end. I'll figure that out later.